I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mmm. It's been a rough week. It has been. We're recording this three days late. Well, Joseph came down with the sickness. Yeah, I was very sick Sunday and Monday. We attempted to record on Tuesday. Like, we recorded the full podcast and realized <clears throat> it didn't save. Yep. Um, which is what I get for recording on a different device than I'm used to. So here we are on Wednesday. <laughs> here we are on Wednesday. Uh, but happy, there's happy days. Yeah, but there's been a lot going on. Uh, we can start with Drag Race. Oh God! All yeah. Stars. We gotta talk about that again. Season <laughs> six, episode seven. Uh, the challenge was the queens had to write verses to RuPaul's. Uh, Sure to be classic song, which I can't even recall the name. Up with Queens or with, Queens All Night or I up, don't know. Up with Queens, up with people. But it's supposed to be an uplifting song. Uh, so I thought for the most part, everyone did a good job. In the bottom were Jan and Pandora. Jan was in the bottom because her lyrics didn't really reflect the challenge. And she's clueless, yeah. Right. <laughs> And Pandora, her lyrics were weak, and her performance was weak. She was on a team with three dancers, Trinity, Raja, and Jan. Mm-hmm. And they they were very patient with her, but yeah, her her performing was weak. So those two were in the bottom. Well, and you know, it didn't help that she was kind of... Because the first episode for her talent, she sang a song... I have a certain style that she's repeating here, which doesn't... That's right. When in the workroom, Pandora's asked, like, how do you plan on, like, setting yourself... You know, winning this challenge. She says, well, I'm basically going to do my talent show song, but with a different theme, which (laughs) didn't sound like a winning combination. Uh, But Trinity wins the challenge. I thought she was excellent, especially considering... On her season, season seven? Uh, yeah. No, eight. Six. Six. <laughs> um, she went home on a rap challenge. She yes, struggled. In front of Eve and Trina. In front of Eve and Trina. Embarrassed herself. So I thought it was really cool that she came back so strong rapping. She also seems to have somewhat of, of a speech impediment. Yeah. Which may be due to like lack of self-confidence, but also her dental situation. Which I do want to comment on because you know when she won the ten thousand dollars last week, yeah, she said, "Oh, I can buy like, do you know what I can buy with ten thousand dollars? Yeah, a washer and dryer, a freezer full of meat, or a used car." My first thought was, "Bitch, buy some teeth. Yeah, <laughs> buy some fucking teeth." <laughs> Actually, my so my next dentist appointment is like in two hours, uh-huh. so. I know we dropped a video two days ago where I'm not wearing the mask, but we had recorded that video like two months ago. Two No, before no? we went to Cannes. Oh, so like a month ago. Yeah. But um, today will officially be the day I stop wearing the mask. And um, I have a lot of plastic teeth in my mouth, and $10,000 would have covered it. Yeah, would have. And I live in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. so I know Trinity can get some teeth in uh, Atlanta. At Atlanta. <laughs> or do what... Um, Akira did and get online and buy those like fancy Halloween teeth. Oh my god. 
Yeah, I should have looked it up before. You can get custom molded teeth that fit like Halloween teeth. And I think that's what Akira must have done. But they look fantastic. They look perfect. Yeah. So I don't understand why Trinity gets on here with those Mr. Ed. (laughs) But anyway, good for her. So Trinity lip syncs against Alexis Mateo and she doesn't win. So the vote, her wig, her damn wig fell off. She's supposed to be a lip sync assassin and she's lost two lip syncs. But the group votes to send Pandora and Jan home. It's a tie. So it's the first time in All-Stars history there's a tie. So Trinity, her lipstick is the deciding factor. And this bitch sends Jan home. And I thought what Trinity said to Jan was really sweet. Like how she admires her and mm-hmm. stay one, stay on 110. I thought that was sweet. But the reality is I'm glad Jan went home. <laughs> the reality is that's bad advice, Jan. <laughs> yeah, don't stay at 110. Uh Okay, next I was going to talk about America's Next Top Model because I spent almost all of last week watching it. Yes, you did. Um, and, uh, you know, Nick doesn't like when I do things I enjoy, but here we are. That's so, not it. It's just such... <laughs> Your attitude when you just said it sounded like you don't, you don't consider the fact that I might have enjoyed watching it. No, I did. You and just don't I, like I it. I made an attempt to watch some of it with you. It just found I didn't fun. ask you to watch it with me. Well, I just found it so... <laughs> But anyway, I'm glad you did watch some of it because you have some opinions. (laughs) So the reason I started watching it was I have decided I want to learn American Sign Language Uh a few weeks ago, which is something I've been thinking about for a while. And someone who maybe inspired me, I think, to want to learn ASL was Niall DeMarco. Not Helen Keller, not Marley Matlin. I don't know those people. You but know Marley Matlin. I do have a Marley Matlin story. But, um, no, Niall DeMarco is the winner of Cycle 22 of America's Next Top Model. So, um, thinking about that, and then I thought, oh, maybe I should rewatch some America's Next Top Model. Because, you know, a while back, Tyra got, like, retro actively canceled for her behavior on America's Next Top Model. So oh, I, I... I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Th- this was like maybe a year ago or... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So a couple weeks ago, I Googled like... And I think I got like a BuzzFeed article on like the most out... Like like the best seasons of America's Next Top Model because there are so many. And number one was season three. So I went and rewatched season three. And season three is the season where Ava Pigford won who would then change her name to Eva Marcel. And I think for people who don't watch America's Next Top Model, they might know Eva from Real Housewives of Atlanta. But I'm not going to go on and on except to say that I can see why people watching the show in later years really had a problem with the content. Oh, I had a pro- I remember having a problem with it then, but even watching it now, it's jaw-droppingly misogynist, racist... Oh my God. Uh, Body shaming. Yeah. So many examples. So season three, there's a contestant, I believe her name's Kelly. I could be wrong, but she um, admits in confessional that she suffers from bulimia and the girls also suspect she does. And then there's a moment where she vanishes for like 45 minutes. And then someone says that they heard and can smell that she vomited. And the way that's handled on the show is... (laughs) It's definitely exploitative. There's no concern. When Tyra 
sort of confronts her about it, she basically says like, well, stop that and you should get help. Like, yeah, but I'm not, <laughs> but in the same, but in the same show, you're telling people they're too fat, too skinny, suck in your belly. You look like a hog or a whale. Yeah. It's outrageous, but probably what's more shocking to me. And this bothers me since forever. And it still happens today is people using the word ghetto to describe like black shit uh-huh. or black people. And that drives me fucking crazy. Uh-huh. And on the show... Janice Dickinson. Oh, you can call out everyone. Uh, yeah. They all use that word. Oh, my God. Well, even... There's the non-white, char- the non-white contestants... Well, they are... The non-white contestants and the non... Or the non-black contestants and non-black judges use that language. Yeah. Re- but... Referring to girls with, like, quote-unquote ghetto names and... yeah. It's just outrageous. But it, but it, it reflects, uh, I was noticing in other more obvious but subtler ways, perhaps, because on, on that different season where they have that antagonizing photo shoot with the, on the tennis set, yeah. and the they, all of them are excited to see how the black girls are going to react. Season but, four, Tiffany and Brandy, who are the two black girls who are painted as, like, really hostile. But even one of them was saying that, well, they associate me with anger. And it's like, yep, just reinforcing the same old stereotypes about black women. Right. And that character who or that contestant who said it, Brandy, it's like part of what made her so beautiful is her face. Mm-hmm. And her sort of like resting face has this amazing structure. It's very intense. And it's like, so you, you, you cast me as a participant because of how I look. And then the entire time I'm on the show, you, you, make, you make it out like I'm this angry, hostile black woman. When it's like, no, my face is beautiful. That's why I'm on the show. And even her hair, she had this like weaved in Afro puff that was red. And they couldn't stop commenting on that. And then when it's time for the makeover, they tell her like, we want you to keep it. We like, we like it. But then she kind of throws a hissy fit. Like, no, I want to make over like everyone else. Everyone else is getting full change. Mm -hmm. So they cut out her weave and just leave her with like a junior Afro. But yeah. Also, season four, there's a photo shoot where they have all of the models change their ethnicity. So there are contestants doing full-on blackface. There's a black contestant who they make Asian. Which it sounds like Cloud Atlas. Oh, my God. I, like, as I was watching it, I remember watching it as it was happening 17 years ago. But to re-watch it in 2021, I was appalled. And the things people were saying... And I know we evolve and we should be allowed to grow. For sure. And I'm sure the people who participated, including <laughs> Tyra Banks made a statement saying that she's heard of all the hubba, hullabaloo. And upon, you know, revisiting those topics, she recognizes how problematic their approach was. But So I understand, like, times change and we should be allowed to grow. But yeah, it was it's hard to watch. Also, there's a there's a contestant on season four who has impetigo, and that that poor girl, they drag it out for three seasons or three episodes that she is like suffering from some flesh eating bacteria or like that poor thing. They make her look so crazy, and I'm sure from the point where she was breaking out to when she visits the dermatologist wasn't that long. But they really make it a storyline. Oh yeah, you just need to slap some 
some antibiotic uh, cream on that shit and it goes away. Right. I just <clears throat> like, wow, that poor girl will always be known as the bitch with impetigo. <laughs> that reminds me of that. There's a peaches. Lyric, a peaches song, touch me and I'll give you impetigo. Yeah. Um, it, it just boggles my mind that they actually had this popular television show that everybody watched. I, I hate how the gays talk to women in that. I hate how the, some of these dumb, dumb girls make homophobic comments about Miss J. I, I just, it, it's mind-boggling. Homophobic and transphobic. Yes, and they... And Miss J and Miss J. Manuel, who I can't stand. Oh, yeah. The comments he makes, like fat shaming and make, calling... He is a, a big culprit of saying people are too black, too ghetto, and... I don't know how J. Manuel identifies. I'm assuming he would be Latin X in 2021. But, ugh, can't stand him. Well, his hair. Nobody read him for film. Uh, Actually, the only person on the show, well, seasons three and four that I thought were like the, who I thought was the most tolerable was Janice Dickinson. Because she's ridiculous. Yeah, she is. And she owns it. And I don't think it's appropriate per se, and I don't like it. But somehow, upon rewatching those two seasons... Janice Dickinson comes off as the least problematic. <laughs> and that's a problem. That is a problem. If yeah. Janice Dickinson seems like... Because um, she seems more self-aware. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She, right? More than time. Like, she's not saying the same stupid thing. She's saying problematic things. Right. She doesn't come across as dumb. Well, okay, so that so Tyra Banks... Because now I'm watching Cycle 22 with Niall DeMarco. And still... 17, or, you know, what was that, 13 years later, Tyra Banks still can't shut up. No, You know, the thing is, she's very beautiful to look at. She is. But she should just have her pictures taken and not try to talk, act, sing, or, I guess, express opinions. Because, like, when we recorded this earlier, I was thinking, you know, y'all want to hate on Wendy Williams, but, I mean, it's Tyra's... I, I, I think Tyra, and then, you know, I did watch almost every episode of the Tyra Banks show. <laughs> and she did interview Janet Jackson on the show like four times. Those are such terrible And they are so interviews. cringy. They are so cringy. But uh, Tyra has the worst interview skills. I mean, I remember her asking Janet if she farts, what kind of cereal, like just. Yeah. No, but I mean, every episode, someone would reveal something like, you know, I was molested by my father and Tyra will bring it right back to herself. Well, you know, and and when I was 18, I did a photo shoot with this one person and they, you know, wanted me to take off my bra, but I had to stand up and say no. So I know what it feels like. Yeah. Well, girl, what are you talking about? But I think my comments about what very casually watching the show in the background while you've had it on is they don't give these women and later men the t- uh, tools to succeed like right they have these inexperienced people from all over and then are supposedly training them to be a model but then That's right. throw them out there cast them to the wolves and then judge, shame them and... shame them and judge them and tear them down yep and then make them get at this shrill fever angsty desperate pitch so that all you have them doing is crying every episode and screaming about how their dreams are ending right and Ah. Yeah, no, because when you think America's Next Top Model, you think, okay, it's either going to be experienced models, like how Drag Race has experienced drag queens, so you have people at the top of their game with, like, a strong skill set and craft uh, uh, performing, or, like you said, or it's even like Project One Way, these are 
talented yeah, you don't have garment that makers. don't sew on Project Runway. Right, but then on America's Next Top Model, you have people who have no clue about modeling, and then you spend the entire time shaming them. It just feels so um, manipulative. It's cruel and unusual, and it. I think it's also a testament to our culture that we you know, dive into these things and love them. That being said, I lapped up these episodes and I will continue to watch them because it's a fucking train wreck. It's a train wreck, but it, I don't, it, but it, it, but it's, I feel bad watching it, but not unlike when I ate McDonald's but, and I won't stop. Well, so. I like, I will, I have to leave the room cause it makes me angry. Well, you know, like, like many things do, but you're, just, you're, you're a better person than all of us. I don't think it's about being a better um, person. It just, it just makes me, it just puts me in a headspace that is frustrating and, um, my energy can well let's segue let's segue to something that you feel like your energy is better spent on uh are these film festivals so <laughs> go, so you were going to talk about uh several that's what we're okay well yeah there's a lot going on because uh you know can kind of i'm glad it happened but you know usually it's in may so there's a breathing room but oh my god there's locarno starts today i'm covering that remotely um there are a couple things that I'm very excited about that I just wanted to highlight, including After Blue by Bertrand Mondico, uh, who's 2017 The Wild Boys got a lot of attention. Uh, kind of an up-and-coming art house queer filmmaker. Um, his le- next film that's premiering in competition to Locarno is After Blue, uh, science fiction, weirdo, gonzo-sounding film. Um, so yeah, I'm covering remotely, but not all of Locarno's titles in fact a lot of their program is not going to be avail- available digitally and this is one of them but thankfully i do have an opportunity to see it uh, i'm also very excited for medea by alexander zeldovich uh and as the title indicates it does have to do with the greek tragedy uh zeldovich it's been a decade since he's made a film his last movie was target in 2011 which i think i saw at afi uh which is an overly long but very interesting kind of sci-fi take on Anna Karenina. Um, and then a horror film starring Franz Rogowski called Lucifer uh, by Peter Bruner, uh, which is not a filmmaker I'm familiar with, but he did a film, Bruner, with Caleb Landry-Jones in 2018, I think called To the Night, which fascinating poster and uh, logline uh, that I still haven't seen uh, and played somewhere, again, like Locarno or Karlavi very. Um, oh, you just want me to run through all this shit? Well, Venice. I, I don't know what order you want to go through. Um, okay, so then Venice, which I plan on attending for the first time ever physically, um, is, of course, September 1st through 10th. Because um, usually I do TIFF every year. Since 2007, I've done TIFF every year. Obviously, couldn't go last year. Again, TIFF is doing a digital hybrid this year which may, will make it easier for me to also cover TIFF, actually. Uh, but Venice uh, has a really great lineup. I'm very excited to go. Um, I mean, if you've ever seen Don't Look Now or The Comfort of Strangers, like Venice is the perfect kind of uh, moody, noirish, gothic city, obviously. Um, but what I'm excited for in the competition in Venice are, uh, well, several titles, uh, but The Card Counter from Paul Schrader. You know, Paul Schrader is known for kind of sounding off online all the time on his Facebook. And he was making comments about this Cuomo business, about how how hard is it to just not keep your hands to yourself. 
uh, how hard is how hard is it to keep your hands together? right? Yeah. Like, like it's it is possible. Yeah. And then like an hour later, he posts. Focus Features has asked me not to post anything else until for several months because he has this new film coming out. Um, Michelangelo Framartino, who hasn't uh, had a film since La Quattro Volte. Uh, again, again, I think 2010 has a, a new feature that everybody's been waiting for forever called The Hole. Um, Anna Lily Amerpour, who's known for uh, The Girl Who Walks Home Alone at Night and The Bad Batch, she's back with a very intriguing sounding film called Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. Um, Jane Campion is back with The Power of the Dog. Uh, Michelle Franco, who's a very divisive filmmaker, but I, I, I'll watch anything he does. He's uh, got a, You Saw a New Order, which is Michelle Franco. Okay. His new film is called Sundown, which I think is a surprise film that people thought might be a can. Nothing to do with the Gordon Lightfoot song, obviously. Uh, and then uh, Ukrainian filmmaker Valentin Vasyanovich, uh, who's, I think his debut was called Atlantis uh, in 2019, which played in Verizon in Venice. Uh, was, there were a lot of question marks in that statement. I mean, I, I, but well, because I saw it at TIFF, but it was a is a Venice Verizon's or Verizon Horizons film. Uh, was a, a very good film, and his newest is in competition called Reflection, uh, which I'm very excited for. <clears throat> uh, for Venice sidebars, I have to highlight. Um, I, I believe in Horizons. Uh, Oleg Sentsov has a new film, Rhino, uh, and then uh, the opening film of that side panel is Promises by Thomas Krutoff, starring my lady, Isabel Huppert. Okay. Uh, what else? Uh, Tiff, uh, you know, has always been a, a, a poo-poo platter of festivals from throughout the world with several of its own premieres. Uh, of its own premieres, um, uh, will be... Required viewing for me, uh, Inexorable, from Fabrice Duwells, the Belgian horror filmmaker. You've seen his first film, Calvaire, which is a favorite. Uh, I love Alleluia from 2014, which is kind of a, a more vicious take on the Honeymoon Killers, which I highly recommend you still see. Um, you've eluded me on this still. Uh, but mostly, I'm uh, excited for the premiere of The Good House at TIFF, starring Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Klein, who are reuniting for the third time. Uh, directed by Maya Forbes and Wallace Wolodarski. Uh, it, several years ago, it's, so it's based on a novel that I've read that I really liked uh, by Anne Leary, who's the wife of actor-comedian Dennis Leary. Uh, and she's written a couple books. But it, Sigourney's playing this woman who is a, it's kind of a romantic film, but it, or novel, but it's also really depressing because she's uh, the struggling alcoholic. Uh, that... Oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, it, a couple years ago, it was going to be adapted uh, starring Meryl Streep and Robert De Niro and Michael Cunningham, who wrote The Hours, had adapted the script. Uh, but that got scrapped. And now Thomas Bazooka, who directed Let Him Go last year, which I really liked, uh, has adapted this version for Klein and Weaver. So yes, you of all people know I'm very excited for this. Okay. Are you done with film festivals? No. Okay, uh, we'll just keep t- going. Taking a breath. Oh, I forgot to mention that in Venice, I hope to catch Dune and Halloween Kills. But uh, San Sebastian, which I've never been to, also uh, September, they have a fantastic lineup this year. Uh, you know the the line the cachet of films that have been waiting to premiere. I think has really benefited all these festivals. 
Laurent Laurent Contet, uh, Terrence Davies has a new film, which is also playing a tip, Benediction, uh, for uh, Alejandro Amenabar, Paco Plaza, uh, Manuel Martin Cuenca, uh, but mostly out of San Sebastian. I'm very excited for the new film from Claudia Yosa, uh, Fever Dream, which I just read the book that's based on. And uh, I'm just finishing the book Earwig by B. Catling, uh, which Lucille Hadjahalilovic uh, has adapted. The, she's the partner of Gaspar Noe, uh, whose previous films Innocence and Evolution are fascinating and beautiful and creepy. Uh, Earwig is a fantastically strange book, and I cannot wait to see this. Um, I haven't seen them playing at any other festivals, but uh, I hope to get to those somehow, somewhere. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, oh, and then last but not least, I guess, oh, well, Fantasia Fest is going on right now as well. I had wanted to cover the Deep House, but they aren't having screeners for that from Alexander Bustillo and Julian Mori, who we just watched Candisha. They're best known for Inside. Okay. Um, but I did uh, watch a really great three-hour document documentary last night from Fantasia, which premiered at South by Southwest, called Woodland's Dark Days Bewitched uh, by Kier La Yanis, uh, who I have her book, uh, House of Psychotic Women, but it's a three-hour documentary on folk horror film and literature, which, if that's your jam, it was fascinating and engaging and a lovely melange of uh, these great horror texts, which I highly recommend. And then at the end of the month, uh, I'm covering several films for Japan Cuts uh, in New York, uh, which has their yearly uh, retrospective, basically, of uh, recent high-profile and some lesser-profile uh items in Japanese cinema. Uh, I, I basically, one of the films I missed from Venice last year was Wife of a Spy, and they are showcasing that, from Kiyoshi Kurosawa, who is a genre filmmaker-ish, kind of like films of existential dread, like Pulse and Kier are requisite viewing, um, but always fascinating. Uh, he did a period espionage film for the first time about kind of colonialist terrorism in Manchuria, uh, with Japan on the eve of World War II, uh, excellent film. He won Best Director, I think, uh, in Venice, uh, Wife of a Spy. Uh, I do hope to catch up with The Great Yokai War from Takashi Miike, um, which Yokai was not a term I'm familiar with, but they just used that in Suicide Squad last night. Mm. Uh, and Labyrinth of Cinema from Nobuhiko Obayashi. Uh, Obayashi, of course, is best known for his like bizarro film House, which Criterion re kind of refurbished and brought back to the world. Uh, but he died, uh, so this was his last film from 2019, so I'm excited to catch up with that. Um, and that, I believe, is all my film festival stuff. Moving on to movies you watched that you didn't make videos for. So, bestseller? Oh, yeah, just random stuff we watched throughout the week. You watched part of this with me. Uh, basically, I had a Brian Dennehy, James Woods double feature. Um, bestseller. Uh... I not the f director's John Flynn, uh, who I've seen his film Brain Scan because the poster art for it intrigued me, but that movie is not good. Uh, but bestseller stars uh, Brian Dennehy as a Joseph Wamba Wamba style cop, who's so he's also a writer uh, who's approached by a mobster played by James Woods to write his story, and it is head on ridiculous. Yeah. 
uh, watching Brian Dennehy huff and puff and run around, which I was curious, you mentioned that you had thoughts on Brian Dennehy. Oh, he's strangely appealing. Yeah. Like, I've always thought he was kind of... But I also thought Al Bundy from uh, Married with Children was very attractive as a kid. And uh, so, yeah, he's probably like that coach dad type. Sure. He reminds me of an old college friend's dad. Yeah. Um, Strangely. But yeah, he's, he's running around huffing and puffing with James Woods, who is not really a screen presence I care for. Um, and then I had rewatched Split Image, which they are both in, in Share Some Scenes, but with Michael O'Keefe and Peter Fonda and, uh, Karen Allen, which I know I've seen before because I went back and checked, but there was so much glorious ridiculousness I forgot about in Split Image, which is about Michael O'Keefe, this young white angel getting, uh, subsumed into this cult. Oh, and the wonderful Elizabeth Ashley, who plays his mother. Um, if you've never seen Windows... Uh, Elizabeth Ashley is this lesbian stalker uh, that was directed by Gordon Willis who I have to say really does know how to uh, film with uh, black light like with blackness the shadows in that in windows are scary Uh, but it's a crap film Uh, anyhow I want, in a perfect world, I would have a double feature of Split Image and my favorite Strangers with Candy episode that is uh, paying homage to that because Deborah Rush, who's the stepmother in Strangers with Candy, is in Split Image. But almost all of the sequences in that Strangers with Candy episode where Jerry Blank is abducted by a cult are lifted directly from Split Image. Hmm. Wife of a Spy? Well... You were, I just talked about that. Oh, you did? Or Reservation Road? So you weren't listening. Well, you say a lot of things. A lot of words are happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Reservation Road. Well, you're not talking to... You know, you're talking to the people who be listening to you. You need to focus more on them and not me. <laughs> so go ahead. Reservation Road. Mm-hmm. Go on. Okay. Um, Reservation Road. Well, that was, a, that was my first tiff. I remember seeing that in the lineup, and I'd never seen it. Terry George directed... He's probably best known for Hotel Rwanda. And it's just one of those films that has this really great cast um, that I think was well-received at the time, but now plays kind of like old hat. But basically, Mark Ruffalo and Joaquin Phoenix are these dads, and one night on Reservation Road, uh, Mark Ruffalo kills Joaquin Phoenix's son um, and then hides that fact and is a lawyer, so ends up being assigned to help Joaquin Phoenix with his case and of course gets his just desserts uh, and then their wives or ex-wives are played by Jennifer Connelly and Mira Sorvino uh, just uh, and Elle Fanning is a little girl in it which uh, uh, yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't say that there was anything that great but all done yeah okay now you want to list your top five releases for July well, yeah, because now we're in August, so yeah, films that, as we've been doing at the end of every month, films that... Well, this is your list. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did I hope you agree? Uh, I have it first. Let's see. Uh, no Sudden Move. Okay. Directed by Steven Soderbergh. Um, Mama Weed, starring uh, Isabelle Huppert, uh, which you did see. Okay. Do you... Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, Pig, starring Nicolas Cage. 
Uh, Saw that too. Blood Red Sky on Netflix. Watched that as well. And uh, David Lowry's The Green Knight. And I didn't watch that. Okay, moving on. You had some mini topics you wanted to get to? Before we get to the main topic? Well, I brought them up when we recorded this earlier, so... uh... I didn't know if you wanted to re-comment on them, but uh, like... Well, we just re-commented on everything else. <laughs> so go ahead. Well, like, uh, you, you know, Scarlett... You brought up Matt... Oh, so Scar- Scarlett Johansson suing Disney yeah, over the digital release of that movie she was in. Black Widow. Black Widow. That yeah, so we had discussed that. Um, you brought up some interesting points, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, just, you know, immediately reminded me of, you know, back in the days when Judy Garland and Betty Davis and many others were uh, fighting their rigid studio contracts. Uh, In those days, it was for better parts. Uh, Now it's all about money. But still, I think just as important, um, one for gender parity, of course, but I I think it's an important... um, for her to use her platform to do this uh, in several ways. But uh, obviously, nobody anticipated this pandemic happening, and this was a film like many of these that filmed before that. So built into their contracts wasn't anything about, you know, PVOD sales. Uh, But just, I, I think what's more interesting is how Disney responded to her, which was very dismissive. rather than yeah i just found that curious um well i think you know i i think today is like national women's equal pay day or something i I believe uh and i think bringing up you know what betty davis went through with the studios among many other female stars back then um was frustrating and they were fighting for something that was right i think I don't know the details of the contract this lady signed with Disney, obviously. I do have some business acumen, and I, I, from my angle, it's like, how could anyone have known when she signed this contract probably three or four years ago that we would be hit with a global pandemic and everything be shut down for one plus year? But if in the contract it doesn't stipulate that we cannot... Because the thought of releasing a, a blockbuster film digitally was just unheard of, right? So no one thought to include that in any sort of contract, I'm sure. So it's just kind of like, well, that's how the cookie crumbles, girl. That's just like how many people have lost their jobs, got their hours cut. You know, I don't... I'm not saying that she doesn't deserve what's hers. I just think that, you know, reading the fine print and and it's just like, okay, so we have insurance on our home but we don't have earthquake insurance and we know that we don't and many people in california don't because it's very expensive so if an earthquake comes and our shit crumbles to the ground it's like well like we knew that we don't have it not that she knew that there could be a pandemic and that the film wouldn't be released in theaters but I just think, like, sometimes shit happens, and it sure. seems unfair, but it's also, like, these studios also took a big hit during this time. So they're trying to recoup in the best way they can. And if they're not in breach of contract, it's just like, well, and I don't know if 
Her legal counsel advised her to proceed with this suit and make it very public in hopes that that would pressure Disney to offer her something. But, you know, it is very interesting. And I think, um, you know, equal pay is very different from just like, well, you kind of had a shitty contract. Like every black musician in the... (laughs) No, but I'm saying, not like it's for... Scarlet's sake, I think the ripple, the cumulative effect it will have on forcing these studios to kind of reconsider compensations, perhaps in a fluctuating market that they haven't kept up with. I mean, even prior to the pandemic. Sure, but we don't know the details of these contracts. We also know that, yes, there are a handful of films that are guaranteed to make a huge amount of money, but there are also so many films that get made, distributed that don't make any money. Yeah. So it's like a lot of these, I know these larger studios don't fund these small films because it's not worth the energy, but somehow they have to recoup. It is a business. So I don't know. It it seems more complicated than, and also it's like, I don't know that Scarlett Johansson is like an inspiring, like poster child for this. A trailblazer. Yeah. Like, Oh, this, who people consider beautiful, I don't, but this beautiful white woman who's very, well, you know, she's very regular and she has those yellow ass teeth, but you know, she, she's considered someone who's like beautiful, successful, this white lady who has this role for a character that I don't find very interesting. And then she missed out on what, who knows, 50, $30 million like potential profit off this film. It's like, well, I don't know. It doesn't seem that tragic. It just seems like, you're the infor- like you're a victim of circumstance to this like sort of like you know incident that no one could have predicted so it is very interesting and of course i would love to know how it evolves well yeah well it already is because you have headlines about emma stone reconsidering if she wants to take action around cruella dwayne johnson has already said he will not uh, on jungle cruise um, moving on, the other topic was Matt Damon using the F slur. The F So I saw this headline and I initially thought my brain was like, oh, so Matt Damon's not used, saying fuck anymore. Uh, right. Like, what the hell? <laughs> what's the F slur? What is the F slur? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, I'm the F slur. I'm an F slur. <laughs> so it came back, you know, because it kept getting attention all of a sudden. And then I'm like, oh, he's not saying faggot. Uh, anymore and why is this a thing and why is this being brought up and why did he say this when i read the headline that matt damon gave an interview where he's saying that he learned from his daughter to stop using the f slur i knew it was taken out of context there is no way an a-list star at his level would be stupid enough to admit that he uses derogatory language and that his Teenage daughter had to gather him like a ponytail. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So then, of course, there was all this, like, attention around it. And then he gave a subsequent statement saying that he was trying to make an example of how language changes and how, you know, certain words were used and now they're not appropriate. And that he used that word to demonstrate something. But that he said he has never actually, as an adult, called anyone the F-slur. And, you know, I'm dubious and skeptical about most people and things, but I am very prone to believe that this man is not homophobic. I don't believe that he runs around yelling faggot to people. Um, 
And I think that that initial headline was taken out of context. And really the biggest thing I got from the story was what the fuck is the F slur? Right. <laughs> and then when I realized that I'm an F slur, I was kind of shocked. Like I didn't realize people referred to it as the F slur. They do just like, you know, the R word and the N word, but. Right. But we say R word, N word, and then we do say the F word, but we all know F word is fuck. So yeah, when I heard F slur, then I'm like, oh, that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I learned something new. Thanks, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Um, yeah, I just don't quite understand. Like, the, again, that's my problem kind of with cancel culture. Because when I realized what the headline was trying to say, initially I was kind of disappointed. Like, oh, no, he's not a homophobe, is he? Uh, but then reading through the article, it's just like, why is this an issue when he is trying, I think, by bringing that up in his way to suggest there's a discourse between the private and personal sphere and realm and and sharing that right. from his own life which is great and also kind of like po- but, pointless but, but also if we consider like people are so quick to attempt to shut people down cancel people be so upset when in reality most people i know speak very differently in private than they do when they know people are listening Yes. So I think it's really unfair to be so offended by the words people may say when it's like, you know damn well that when you're at home and your uncle and your dad and your grandma use language that's way worse and you couldn't love them more, couldn't support them more, couldn't, can't wait to post pictures of you with the fam. And it's like, okay, but the, based on your criteria, those people are more problematic than Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or a host of other celebrities and public figures who you're so quick to be offended by. And it's like, but your own fucking sister says horrific shit. Mm-hmm. And and it's like every Instagram post is twinsies. Love, like, <laughs> so I just think it's very hypocritical to have these opinions when well, I, we take just, everything out of context anyway. Uh, but well, especially compared to maybe like baby. And the fallout with that, and I don't even know specifically what comments he made, but just the the backlash. Again, I can't, based on what I do know of his comments, I'm not going to come out in defense of this man. But also, like, should he be without a job ever? Again? Well, I like, listened to his comments, and they did bother me because he's very misinformed. Right, but th- that's and the then he like, didn't double down per se. It's just that he demonstrated his ignorance by stating. Like, well, my fans don't do the things that would get you... He's equating being HIV positive and having certain STIs yes, as being yeah, like... I knew it was... Right. So I I think it, it is an interesting question. Like, okay, so he's, you know, misinformed and an idiot, but so are a lot of people. And do, do they deserve to be unemployed? Well, can you just... Can, what about working on informing him then and enlightening him rather than canceling him. I think the issue is if you're like a Lollapalooza and your sort of mission statement and your foundation is based on sort of inclusion, uh, like can you have someone headlining or being a like a main stage performer who's saying these non-inclusive things? And I would say, no, you, you have an image to uphold, right? Like, so I, I think that that's the... I think it's very fair that people should be able to say whatever they want and you can be as dumb and, and as ignorant as you can be 
But the reality is, if you want to align yourself with entities that don't subscribe to those things, then you're putting that in jeopardy. So the best thing to do is to just shut up and sing your song. Like, well, like, why do you want to like take... Like the Dixie Chicks? Right. Like, why do you want to take, like, a one-minute break in between songs and go on some rant that's just... That you know is going to go viral. You know everyone's recording. It just demonstrates ignorance, bravado, stupidity. And in that regard, it makes someone like a loose cannon. And and that will affect endorsements, right? Like I'm not gonna if I'm if I'm Starbucks or like McDonald's. McDonald's has been doing a lot of advertising with like um, social media, like Saweetie just uh, ha- like they're doing these like like combo meals, like the Saweetie combo meal. And it's like now they're not gonna do a da baby combo meal because he's he's liable to say some dumb shit. So it's just like you can say whatever you want, dude. You know, I do like that song Levitating by Dua Lipa featuring DaBaby, and I'm not going to take it off my mix, but, and and I don't think that, like, DaBaby is like God hates fags. I just think that he made an ignorant comment. Yes. And then the problem is the people who are defending him, like T.I. Well, yeah, that's. Who's also a, a moron? Well, and then, and then, like, throwing Little Nas X's name in there. It's like, no, that, that, that also makes this worse because that's that's two different what he's saying is wrong and ignorant but how do we turn that rather than defending his right to free speech how do we try to you know kind of rehabilitate that you know what just like i'm not just like i'm tired of educating white people on racism i'm tired of educating dumb straight dudes on why they're the, the shit they say is homophobic and transphobic if 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 you don't want to take the time to understand how your words have power and that you need to choose them carefully, then lose all your coins, lose all your jobs because you are making a lot of money as a public figure and you're not interested in taking the time to curate what the fuck you say. Now, I, like, I, I, of course, I'm tired of that too and agree with that too, but then like, let's bring a little intersectionality into it. And like, you know, th- this is a black man like let like I, I think we need to because it struck me that you know elton john came out hard against him but it's like i recall elton john getting up there and singing a song with eminem saying they're just words talking about f slurs with eminems so it's like well where is that same kind of uh untoward and unexpected compassion for the baby like I, I sure sure and i think i think that there was you know the difference with eminem was there was clearly a choice by Eminem to want to move forward. And so I think, but there was time to, maybe that's just the world we're living in. There's no time. Like, like this has become a a viral headline. You're right. And I think because things spread so quickly that it's like, well, the fire is raging and this, and then DeBaby chose to make an additional statement that just inflamed it. Yeah. So I think with time, I'm sure there's going to be some video. There's going to be some sit down with Ellen or I don't know Not who Ellen. or Kevin Hart and I don't know talking about how he's you know he understands what he said was wrong and blah blah blah. I'm I don't think that that man should be removed from the face of the earth, but I do think that his employers have a right to say that your viewpoints don't align with our message. So you you're not a good fit for this program that that's all i'm saying i don't think like if he you know how he views people's behaviors and their ethics and morals is his he's entitled to that it's just stupid for him to say it out loud i have viewpoint you've heard me say things that if people heard me say them they would be appalled by but it's like 
I'm smart enough to know that A, they're not appropriate. I'm saying a lot of things because I think I'm funny within a small group. And I recognize that if I were to say them in a more public way, I would get in trouble. And I don't want that. I also don't want to hurt people's feelings. Right. That's probably the main reason why I don't say a lot of things is I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to make people feel isolated. So I, you know, sucks for him, I guess. Because even uh, uh, Lil Boozy was commenting on, like, how it's a shame that he's being... uh targeted for his comments and it's just like i don't know you people have millions of followers and you have an audience well i see that that's the problem so the people are going to come to his defense but like we need to talk about what the real problem was these these ignorant comments and how do we how do we move beyond that because just silencing him is not the answer. Like, right. can- canceling him is not the answer. Well, I think the answer is what you're saying is like, we really need to dissect his comments and remove him from them and talk about why they why they are so upsetting. Right. And why they're um, inaccurate. Right. And misleading. Because... And t- that they can perpetuate violence be- and because stigmata- t- uh, stigmatization. T.I.'s comments are like, you're letting little Nas X live his life, but this is... Uh, the baby's reality. No, this reality. This is this is ignorance. So where do we where do we go from here? Right, right. <laughs> like yeah. Okay, so we have uh, like a little over ten minutes left. The topic for today, I was gonna call fifteen minutes, so I ran a little like we're a little short. But this arose because of you talking and thinking about the film The Green Knight. In- so so better explain. What? Well, uh, can I articulate this correctly? Well, so The Green Knight, if you haven't seen it, released by A24, is a uh, medieval poem. It's based on the medieval poem, Middle English poem, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which David Lowry had an excellent adaptation of, I thought. But, you know, what is he? What is this 14th century poem recalibrated by this artist for saying for today? Because even when I talked through the plot with you and we recorded our review, which, you know, I, I wish you had seen it, um, I, I think it, it's still a film that a couple weeks later now is stuck with me because like what what are we really talking about with Sir Gawain who uh, takes up this charge to uh, you know in, in essence lay a blow on this green knight that curses him in a year's time he has to go basically be decapitated because but but he he did this thing because that's what was expected for. Uh, you know the 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 chivalric romance of the time, like to to display that he is brave and uh, all the things that you wanted to be back then as a medieval knight. Uh, but this very thing that you sought, this fame and notoriety, is also what is going to cause your uh, your death. Basically, the fate the fate is your death. And while you were watching all of these top model seasons, that's all I could think about is. These young women are kind of doing the same thing as Sir Gawain, and uh, in, in all across all reality television is trying to elevate yourself on this faulty scenario of fame, fortune, and celebrity by, you know, in essence being played, being manipulated, yeah. being made a, a tool and a fool, and you do get a little shine, but it also ends you, uh, which is what how I was relating the Green Knight to uh, Next Top Model. Right. Yeah. So like thinking about reality TV, like, you know, in current time, reality TV, social media. So people on TikTok, Instagram, people making YouTube videos, podcasts, 
there is the potential, even on a small scale, you know, I don't, I think people think like, oh, like I need to go viral to make an impact. Not really. You know, there are people, there are people I know who um, work like with children and they do porn Mm -hmm. and they have Twitter pages Mm -hmm. where like I can see them doing porn, like, yeah, like they're doing porn, but they also work at like, like they're a preschool teacher Mm -hmm. and they're not famous. They don't have a million followers on Twitter. They have like a thousand. But if one of those parents at the school saw that you do porn and these videos are just up on Twitter, I'm pretty sure that would cause a lot of problems. That's that. That's the subject of the film that won Berlin this year by Radu Jude, uh, bad luck banging or loony porn. Yeah. Yeah. I recall you saying that. So, um, I think that we need to consider like what, yeah, the choices we make, what is, are we, are we really thinking about the potential outcomes? Like every time you post something on any platform or the people who audition and get on these bullshit reality shows where you get no money, but now your face is plastered all over something in perpetuity that could potentially go viral. Well, yeah, I'm thinking of the, What's the the thirty four year old from Love Is Blind? Love Is Blind, or yeah, but all all those shows that are for like a week, it's like water cooler talk, and then they have, you know, you have this big impact, and everyone recalls your face, but yeah. really you get nothing from it. Maybe you gain a hundred thousand Instagram followers, so now you're getting sponsored to showcase like protein powder and underwear. So you made a couple thousand dollars, but that's nothing. In comparison to now, people associate you with this ridiculous thing you did. And what is the ripple effect? How's that going to affect your future romantic endeavors? How does that affect your career? Well, now we have these people on multiple reality television platforms, like the guy from Top Model that did The Circle. Right. And then the girl who who was on... A 180. Yeah, yeah. Or the girl who was on Two Out to Handle and then is on The Circle. and But, I mean, we know people who have done... Like, who have been on popular TV shows or popular reality shows, and then time has passed and they really haven't done anything else. But people still recognize them for that thing. And I wonder, <coughs> like, what is the long-term effect of that? Like, you did something, you know, because I know someone who did some, was on a very popular TV show going on 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. Who, to this day, if they're out, people recognize them. But they haven't parlayed that into a career that has anything to do with entertainment. They don't have money. They don't live a fancy life. But because people recognize them, there's an expectation that they have a certain lifestyle. So there's this constant confrontation that your life is a disappointment. Right. Like, I just don't think people think about that. These people who go viral with some stupid dance on TikTok or whatever. It's like you you don't really make money. (coughs) You don't really make money off of that. Right. But then people recognize you. So how does that affect your trajectory moving forward? You know, for the next five years, are people going to, like, is every interaction going to be tainted because it's like, I only want to talk to you because I recognize you from this thing. So all of the connections I'm making for the next few years are going to be fake? I don't know. It's just something to consider. And when you were telling me the story of the Green Knight, the first thing I said, well, well, who wants to play that dumb game? Right. Well, because I'm like, if this man, if this monsters saying all you have to do is strike a blow just go like prick him with the knife yeah why would i play this game and then this man straight up decapitates him yeah so then it's like okay so now you're going to be decapitated in a year and a day but it's like 
yeah, would I, would I do a reality show? Would I do? Sure. Depending on what it is. But I think we only have a few minutes left, but I think a lot of it is based on the individual, where they're coming from and what they're trying to attain. A lot of the people who get wrapped up in this tend to be younger. They want attention. They want celebrity. They want money because they're equating that with success. Yeah. But I feel like someone like me, and I'm assuming you feel the same way, is like, well, I already have made a nice <laughs> life for myself. I already have an education and a career and money and a house and a nice car. So I'm not looking for those things. I think I just want something fun to do. So doing the YouTube videos is fun for like the, I enjoy editing them and I enjoy all the comments like, cause they're 90% positive and I enjoy doing the podcast cause it's just fun hearing myself talk. So I'm doing it more for p pleasure and, or like a hobby and then if opportunities came where I can make money, I am in a position where I can make choices. Like, well, I'm not going to make a clown out of myself for 10 grand. Right. Like, or, I don't or... need $10,000. <laughs> now, if it's 100000 I might be willing to do a little something extra. Right, right. But you know what I mean? It's like... There's a way to play it and not be like silky ganache. Exactly. Right. Which could be an entirely different podcast. But I think, yeah, when you think about, oh, some 19-year-old on America's Next Top Model cycle 22 who's probably never going to go beyond that because yes he's super hot but so is everyone else who looks just like him right it's like well so now all you did was get on this reality show and get a bunch of pictures taken in your underwear so now people can masturbate over that i mean that's really all you amounted to which if that's enough for you i guess which you can parlay into an OnlyFans. but it's like playing the lottery like it could catapult you into something bigger yeah but statistically <laughs> That doesn't happen. Statistically, it will also eventually be your your end. I mean, when you think about the Real Housewives franchise and the number of people on the show, of all the housewives through all the seasons, we can really only name a handful of people who really parlayed that into something much bigger. Right. Right? right. Like a Bethany Frankel or a Nene Leakes. Leakes. or You know, the, the other ones who are very successful, they were successful beforehand. Right. But uh, we can go on and on. We need to fin wrap this up. But um, you have a closing line. Oh, my closing line was uh, a lyric from It Takes a Muscle to Fall in Love by Spectral Display. Uh, good or bad, come what may, you're going to live tomorrow if you don't die today. Oh, if, if only we were so lucky. All right, toodaloo. Bye. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha